This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Behind Enemy Lines. I'm your host, Alejandro Suniga. The Michigan football team heads on the road to East Lansing this weekend as they face Michigan State. Big in-state rivalry on Saturday night up at Spartan Stadium, and we are here to talk about it. The Wolverines are 7-0, ranked number two in the country, and they're facing a reeling Michigan State program. Not only have the Spartans gone through a host of off-the-field issues, culminating, of course, with the firing of their head coach, Mel Tucker, but they've also gone from 2-0 to 2-4, losing four straight, including a heartbreaking, if you're a Michigan State fan, lost to Rutgers in a game that the Spartans were were really in control. And similarly, two weeks prior to that, were winning in Iowa City against Iowa before self-inflicted mistakes and, and certainly some big plays from the Hawkeyes flipped that game on its head. So on paper, this is a game that Michigan should have the upper hand in, but it is a rivalry. It is a game for the state championship. And let's call it like it is. This is a game that both programs have had circled. Certainly Michigan State is always going to circle this game. But the Wolverines in particular, after what happened last year in in Ann Arbor and what happened two years ago, the last time Michigan lost a regular season football game was in East Lansing in October of 2021. It has been all wins in the Big Ten since then. So this game... For Paul Bunyan, for the state championship, to continue an undefeated season, to continue the march to potentially a Big Ten championship and potentially a college football playoff appearance and potentially a national championship, it's a stepping stone and it's a big one. And it it will mark the end of, yeah, the, the, the halfway point of the regular season passed already, but this is when it gets real. And it's in my mind at least, the championship of the first half because then Michigan hits its bye week and then begins its stretch run. So it's Michigan-Michigan State. I've got Stephen Brooks, who has been a regular contributor to this show from 24-7 over at Spartan Tailgate, here to talk about it. It's a great conversation, and let's just dive right in. Here's my conversation with Stephen Brooks. Game week is finally here. Uh, The rivalry that we have been talking about with you on this podcast throughout this entire fall. Uh, Finally, on Saturday night in East Lansing, it's Michigan against Michigan State for the state championship, as the coaches like to say. A a rivalry that means a lot to these programs. And certainly uh, Harlan Barnett, I know, said this week that he considers it one of the greatest rivalries in, in college football uh, I think if you polled Michigan fans, they would laugh at that and say, no, of course, Michigan-Ohio State is the best rivalry in college football. What are you talking about? Uh, but talk to the players themselves. And, and even Blake Corum said this this week that between Michigan-Ohio State and Michigan-Michigan State, uh, both rivalries mean slightly different things, but they're both really high up there in 
and pretty much equal in what they mean to these programs and what, especially what it means to Michigan on a year to year basis. Uh, so it's a big week for both programs and want to dive into the Michigan state Spartans. We've been talking throughout the fall, right, Stephen? So, so listeners, if you want to hear detailed analysis, introspection about the saga, that's been Michigan state football, uh, follow our, our previous episodes. But at this point, Michigan State is 2-4. and four. They're 0-3 in the Big Ten. It's Harlan Barnett who has taken over uh, as the acting, as the interim head coach uh, since Mel Tucker was first suspended and then and then fired. Yes, big picture, how's this season gone? I, I saw you wrote a story that this game, this rivalry, is what Michigan State needs in this moment. Well, why did you say that? That that was yeah. I, I probably uh, need to offer some context on that. It just it has to do with how this season's gone. You talk about like where the state of the program is or anything. If folks haven't listened, uh, I mean it's pretty much been a free fall since Mel Tucker was suspended on September 10th. Like not a lot has gone good. I mean if you really like if you really even want to want to back out, uh, zoom out on the timeline a little more, you could go back to the 2021 game that MSU won in East Lansing. And everything that's happened since then has been a lot of bad for Michigan State. It's been a lot of good for Michigan. Um, you know, starting with that Big Ten title that they won, MSU hasn't really been competitive since. You know, you can go back and look at and trace it all the way back to that. But in terms of this year, uh, we're talking about four straight losses uh, coming into this game. Uh, we're talking about these last two. When I when I wrote that column saying Michigan is what they need right now. Uh, you know, coming out the last two games at Iowa two weekends ago, um, then they had a bye week, then they went out to Rutgers last week. Both games they were in control in the middle and in late-ish stages of both games they let uh, they let go of completely, you know, and, and collapsed late. Uh, both games had special teams errors, you know, that played a major factor in, it. Uh, in Iowa. They shanked a punt, set up a short field for Iowa, and then kicked it right to Cooper DeGene, who ran it back for a touchdown to win, you know, to – uh, take the lead and end up beating them by 10 out there. Um, Rutgers, they dropped a punt snap in the end zone, boom, touchdown, and that was the beginning of a meltdown. Uh, didn't recover an onside kick, you know, uh, or a, sort of a pseudo onside kick. They blooped it into sort of no man's land and just ran under, ran underneath it and got it. Uh, so more of the story is they, they've given away these games the last two weeks. They've absolutely played well enough to beat Iowa, to beat Rutgers, and somehow they still walked away with losses. So when I looked at it, like that couldn't happen of all the possible outcomes on the board for, for this team this season, I'm sorry for this week, whether it's, you know, from, from on the one end of beating Michigan to let's say like, if it was, if it was somebody else there, they just, they couldn't do a third straight game against like a comparable sort of peer opponent and, and have that possibility, you know, that, that uh, fall down the stairs type of performance again, because I really don't think you can come back from that. At least if you get the beat, you know, the brakes beat off you by Michigan, I think at, at some point they'll be able to say, hey, that was a really good team, you know, at least. But if, if, if just hypothetically it was Minnesota this week for them and they're up 21-10 going into the fourth quarter and they end up losing 24-21 on some more goofball, you know, mistakes uh, series of events, I just think that would be like a back-breaking moment for, for this program. Um so I just think a different different sort of uh, set of circumstances, the motivation, all that stuff with Mich- with the Michigan game, I think is 
a better scenario for them, even than uh, even if it gets ugly. I just think the worst case scenario would be something like the last two weeks, and that's probably not on the table, I guess, in this in, in, with this with with this game. Yeah, it feels like if the game played out similarly for Michigan State as uh, the last two games, as that Iowa game, as that Rutgers game, if it if Michigan State is ahead and seems in control of the game at some point. Uh, that's a moral victory any way you slice it, right? You don't want to go moral victories in a rivalry necessarily, uh, but it would be a, a positive step forward over the last uh, few weeks of results, certainly since Harlan Barnett has taken over. Uh, but I do get the sense, uh, to your point, Stephen, that, that Michigan State, despite the fact that they've lost four straight, these last two weeks in particular, it feels like Michigan State is better than its record, that's not to say necessarily that Michigan State is is good or very good, um, nor does it does it excuse the fact that they lost those games, right? Because a lot of that was self-inflicted mistakes. But it does seem like Michigan State has had the talent uh to not be two and four, but to instead maybe be three and three, maybe four and two, right? They they were up at Iowa. Uh, I was watching that game when I was out at Minnesota. Uh, there's the Cooper DeGene punt return, and then Trey Mosley fumbles and gives that game away. There's the 24-6 up against Rutgers, and then the debacle that you just talked about, you know, trouble with the snap, uh-huh. uh, a, a kickoff gaffe uh, that happens on, like you mentioned, a pooch kick a bit later. Uh, but before that, right, Michigan State was comfortably in control to the point that there were not a lot of fans in the stands at that game because it was rainy and people had left and not a lot of people were watching because it was 24 to six. But before it fell apart, you know, Caton Hauser, he comes in at quarterback. He goes 18 for 29 with a couple touchdowns. He's now, it seems like entrenched as the quarterback one after it was Noah Kim for, for much of the season. So in terms of the positives, uh, from that last week, from before the collapse happened, what's good about Caden Hauser? What should Michigan fans expect from a new quarterback up in East Lansing this weekend? And where are some of the issues, maybe the reasons why he wasn't the starter all along? Yeah, so, uh, you know. <laughs> what a question, thing, perhaps. No, I think the biggest thing is like, because you can say, you know, like it's, his yardage, his completion percentage, like nothing about his performance on paper is like super flashy or sexy, I don't think. But there, if you go back to 2012, uh, the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl, which, you know, I, I caution people against, it's not worth your time. But the point <laughs> is when Connor Cook got in that game uh, replacing Andrew Maxwell, the offense just moved forward. And his stat line was awful, too. I think it was like, it might not matter, but it was, I think he had like eight for, I'm not even going to guess, but it wasn't great. It wasn't anything crazy that night. But you could just tell there was a difference when he was at the, the wheel of the offense versus Maxwell the whole season, how much of a grind and a struggle it was. It was a little sloppy and, and you know, and wasn't the tightest sort of thing, but but the, but the offense moved. Uh, that's, I think, a little bit of what we saw at Caden Hauser um, in terms of the positives. They they score on the first drive of the, game, of the day. First time they've done that all season. Came out of the second half again. First drive of the second half and scored a touchdown again. Um, those are the two best drives of the day. They're only drives that were really like, um, you know, over like six, seven minutes in that area, like 12 plays. I think each of them were so sustained long, long, uh, you know, marches down the field. He's a, uh, he's a bigger body dude than Noah can. They saw, they ran him on two QB draws scored on one of them. Um, so they, they've been wanting the QB run game to be more of a 
factor in their offense all year. Uh, he's more of a guy, I think, where he can lower his shoulder and do some things inside. I think, you know, the QB sneak is on the table versus when Noah Kim, they hard, I think he snuck it maybe once as the starter. And when they ran him, uh, it was a lot of outside stuff, like a, like a sweep or, you know, pulling out and keep to the outside, things like that. There's that difference. I think Caden Howser, the thing that's always been said is like, he was, um, he was, his arm talent was always there, but it was more of like the decision making and like reining it in, I think wasn't, was part of his learning curve when needed. Um, I think he was, I think he took sort of more of a gambler's approach to practice, whereas Noah Kim was more of like steady and consistent. And like, as we've learned with this staff, that's what they value. You know, they don't really care if you can make the sexy play um, one out of every so many times. They want you to take the boring play 100% of the time. And I think Noah Kim was more of that guy. That's how he won it initially. And then, you know, as the season plays out, though, like just the production simply wasn't there. Nor was the risk-averse, steady-eddy approach because the guy threw one touchdown and six picks in his last three starts. So that really didn't uh, that really didn't hold up, you know, once he got into live action. So... But Peyton Hauser, I mean, you're still talking about a, a pocket guy. Um, he's got a big arm. He's known for just being able to make some some really impressive throws. But I think uh, we definitely saw a guy who was taking his first reps, too, you know, and was seeing some things for the first time. Um, redshirt freshman still hasn't played a ton at this level. Hasn't played a ton, like, as, as much as you might think, I guess. I mean, he split reps even going back to St. John Bosco with another D1 kid. Um and then before that, you know, he was, he was a young freshman, sophomore in high school and was like trying to break his way into varsity at another school uh, in Nevada and everything. So hasn't not as much mileage on him as you'd probably expect, especially a quarterback these days and the days of specialization and private coaching and all that stuff. Um, but there's a lot to like about him. I mean, he's an elite 11 finalist coming out of high school. He's a guy who moved way. Uh, he had a big jump in the rankings his senior year and, and had a lot of good tape out there from high school. It's just we're just now starting to see him at this level. So. Um, that's about the best I can give you now because because uh, we are still kind of learning so much about him. But uh, his first touchdown last week I thought was really impressive. Um, he had a couple of really great balls. Had a couple, you know, shaky ones for sure. He's not saying the kid the second coming or anything. But uh, I think there's a lot to build on, good foundation there. And, you know, this will be a nice test to see exactly where he's at, uh, obviously against a great defense coming in here. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to see. Uh, I Interesting that you note that he hasn't, played a ton of football um, even going back to his high school days, because that's one thing Michigan I feel does very well is they, they confuse quarterbacks, right. And, and a veteran quarterback, someone who's seen a lot of football uh, that's where you see things pre-snap. You can kind of predict what's coming a little bit better. Uh, Someone who's a little bit greener uh, for lack of a better word uh, might struggle a little bit more, Uh, but you know, he, he does also have some weapons around him. Keaton Hauser does. And and one of them is uh, one that Michigan saw last year in the non-conference is running back Nathan Carter, uh, Jalen Berger. I, I saw that he returned from injury uh, at running back as well. Uh, Wisconsin transfer. Um, I know, and, and in reading some of your coverage uh, post game after that Rutgers game, hasn't been a banner year necessarily for, for the receivers. I know there have been turnover, turnover issues uh, in that persisted against the Scarlet Knights. Uh, so, you know, outside of, of Keaton Hauser, who I'd assume is going to be starting against Michigan, you know, who, who are some of the bigger names on the Michigan state offense uh, to keep an eye on? Yeah, definitely Nate Carter. He's their best running back. And I think he's better 
having Jalen Berger, uh, their number two, sort of a, a little bit of a 1B, but kind of a clear number two uh, with him. You know, when, when Berger was out, they were just – it felt like Nate Carter was sort of getting um, his batteries drained like every week because he had to carry the low. You know, Jordan Simmons, their third down guy, uh, is in the portal. He, he messed, stepped away from the team, and they just don't have a bunch of depth there. Uh, so now that Berger is back, I think that helps Carter a lot. Carter's probably their best offensive player. Um, he can break off a big one. Uh, he's, you know, he's powerful, but he's built in. He's got a compact sort of build, but he's, he's twitchy in space. Um, good, good player. You know, probably one of the more underrated backs in the Big Ten just because MSU has been off the radar. But uh, the blocking in front of him can be questionable, though, and, and highly inconsistent, uh, whether that's the offensive line, whether that's tight ends who have been – very poor blockers, to be blunt. Um, receivers haven't kept up their end of the bargain there all the time. And then in the offensive line as well has, has had their share of the blame. So he's not always looking at the cleanest picture, uh, but he's got talent. So he's, he's a guy to work to watch for, for sure. Malik Carr, the tight end number six, has measurables, and he'll pop up for like a big big play, a big game here or there. That Iowa game in the first half, they really fed him. I think he had eight catches or seven maybe in the first half. Um was a major part of a concerted effort to get him the ball. And that was the first time we've ever seen that. You know, the guy's 6'6", 6'7", 260, uh, you know, D1 basketball kid coming out of high school as well. Like, great athletic profile. And throughout his time here, as I said, he's, he'll just pop up for, like, one big gain a game, and then that's it. You don't really see him again. Or, you know, he's had, like, a 60-yard catch and run uh, against Wisconsin. And he, he hasn't been a consistent weapon uh, as much as you would think a guy with his measurables – and his ability to get open should be. Um, but he, he's always dangerous, you know, even if he's not been inconsistent. And then the receivers are just kind of a collection of, of okay players, to be honest, right now. I think there's some young guys that we could see in a couple of years maybe could be good if they stick around, which, which is no gimme at this point. Um, but, you know, Michigan fans remember how much Keon Coleman left, kept Michigan State in that game last year and how important he was to, to sticking to keeping that one close. They don't have anybody remotely like that. Now, look, Keon looks like he's one of the three or four best receivers in the country down there at Florida State, but they don't have a game-breaker there, anything close to it. They don't have a guy they can rely on. They don't have anybody that scares you defensively. It's just a collection of guys who are just okay. And now they they struggle hanging on to the football. You know, it would be one thing if they could just run a solid route, catch the ball, and fall down, you know, and just be consistent chain movers, even if you're not take the top off explosive type of guys but uh now they're dropping the football uh, and getting stripped and things like that so that's uh that's uh, as you said there's been a little bit of a weakness uh offensively it's not uh, they're not devoid of talent but man they've made some really awful mistakes and even at the top end there there's not no talent but it's not high level talent there's nobody that's like a surefire nfl dude nobody that really you look at and scares you um quite honestly in the passing game except for tight end Malik Carr popping up every once in a while when he does yeah, that's kind of how I feel as I've been watching Michigan State this year is, um, you know, not necessarily the top end talent, but enough talent that if they did avoid those backbreaking mistakes, uh, games might turn out a bit differently, particularly the last couple of weeks. Uh, Steven, let, let's flip our attention to the defensive side of the ball, because this is another one where what I'm seeing in the stats, what you what you nor- normally think of when you think of Michigan State defense you know, those two don't always align very well. The reason I say that is because, you know, Michigan State traditionally, right, you, you think they have some some good D tackles, you know, tough on, you know, on, on the defensive line. You look at the stats, you see that Michigan State actually has one of the best third down defenses in the country. 
Uh, they're allowing opponents to convert under 25% of third downs. That's third in the country behind Utah and Georgia. But then I look at what my nun guy from Rutgers did last week. He went 24 carries, 148 yards, 6.2 yards per pop. And he in particularly took over in the second half of that game. Uh, on top of everything else, Rutgers in that game, 50% of their runs were classified as opportunity runs. That's 50% of runs went for four yards or more. So I'm, I'm seeing these two kind of opposing things when I'm looking at the Michigan State defense, or at least at, at the front seven there. How how has that unit performed so far this season? Who are the names to know? Uh, maybe maybe can you shed some light on on what exactly is going on there? Yeah, it's it's been a um, it's. To me, it's been a very disappointing season for the D-line, and I thought that would be a str- you know the strongest unit, definitely on the defense, maybe on the team with what they brought in on the transfer portal. Um, that's been a bit of a dud, quite honestly. Uh, most of their tackles have hardly played. You know, they brought in three dudes. They wanted to get bigger, so it was three guys who are 6'5", 300-plus, and, and none of them have played very much, to be honest. Uh, Tunmiche Adelie was a four-star kid out of high school, was a big-time transfer out of A&M, and he's basically a non-factor at defensive end. Um, so that's been disappointing. It's been mostly the returning guys who have been their best players. Simeon Barrow, number eight, uh, has been around a while. He's still, he's still a really good player. Uh, Derek Harmon, 41, from Detroit, is a is – a, he's not a young dude anymore. He's not old either, though. We'll call him middle-aged, I guess, for college. But he's, he's developing and, and does some good things. Zion Young, number nine, uh, still probably one of their most, you know, purely talented players on defense. But, again – second year guy uh, figuring it out a little bit, but yeah, Manum guy uh, and what Rutgers was able to do on the ground last week, that was alarming. You know, um, we've seen teams run on them a little bit, but not necessarily like that. And especially that last drive, they ran it with him nine straight plays and melted like seven forty one off the clock to and ended up taking these uh, as a part of that. But that was the first time uh, since the whole Mel Tucker thing broke where I, I raised an eyebrow and said, you know, are these guys really all in right now? Because the Rutgers was just resetting the line of scrimmage and leaning on this defense and pushing them around. And just the, the resistance was was not there. You know, as I said, I thought they fought Maryland uh, for sure. But, you know, they got their doors blown off by Washington. But as I told you, that was always going to happen. Um, and we've seen how Washington is, is very good. But they fought against Maryland. They fought at Iowa. Even after those mistakes, I kept, thought they kept fighting I thought they fought through all this game. I until the end was for the first time I've questioned like, has this team, you know, maybe is that fight lessened a little bit because that last drive was troubling. So they're not moving the ball very well. Or I'm sorry, they're not stopping the run very well uh, defensively. The D line I think has been a, has been a letdown. Uh, the second level, the linebackers have been pretty shaky tacklers to be honest, and they've never been great in pass coverage. Uh, they're down Jacoby Winman from a year, you know, who was a big time player for him a year ago sort of a hybrid end linebacker. He'd only been playing linebacker this year. He's he's out for the season. Uh, Jordan Hall, one of their true one of their, you know, four-star true freshmen is playing a lot now. Um and he's a really athletic kid, but and looks the part, you know, he's not going to look you're not going to be able to point and say, "Oh, that's the true freshman out there." The good, the guy is put together. He looks ready to go. Um but then, you know, he's a, he's a freshman playing in a high traffic area and there's a lot happening. So he makes some mistakes sometimes, but he's physical at least. Cal Halliday is a long-time starter there, uh, you know, good downhill guy against the run, but can really be exposed in the passing game too. So 
I just don't think that front seven as a whole does, does anything remarkably, you know, and now you, you, there, there's some cracks showing. I think there's some depth issues maybe uh, in the, in the interior a little bit with some D tackles not being available. And it just, it's just been okay. You know, and last week was, as I said, pretty troubling down the stretch, but other than, overall it's just been okay. And I thought it'd be a lot better than that. Stephen Brooks covers Michigan state over at Spartan tailgate. Stephen, we've gotten to the point, I guess, where, Normally, I'd, I'd maybe say, like, let's make a pick, but I'm uh, not going to do that, especially this early in the week as we record these podcasts. Um, so I'll say this, is that listening to Harlan Barnett and listening to his press conference this week, you, you've talked to us throughout this season since he's taken over that this having this opportunity means a lot to him, right? That he's been, you know, he's a program alumnus. He, he's been with the program for a very long time as a coach as well. So him being in charge of the Michigan State program for this season means a lot. And this week in particular clearly means a lot to Harlan Barnett, right? It's meant a lot to him when since he was a player, he's won a few more of the games against Michigan now since he's been a coach. And now he gets a chance to direct the ship into what's going to be a very emotionally charged rivalry game, uh, in particular given the events that followed the game last year. Uh, in Ann Arbor. So I'm curious as, as you're watching this game, you know, w- what are some keys that you're going to be looking for, uh, for, for Michigan state to keep it closer to potentially pull off, you know, what would be the shocker of all shockers, right. Uh, in East Lansing, because, you know, when you look at these teams on paper, when you look at how these programs have fared, you know, it's, it's no secret to Michigan fans that the last regular season game, that Michigan lost was that 21 game in East Lansing, right? And Michigan has just been on an improbable fever dream type of run since then. And the players who were there in 21, certainly the players who, you know, who were on Michigan last year and and know what happened after the game are very eager to have a chance to kind of set things right on the football field. Um, So there's going to be a lot, from the Michigan side, I'm curious from the Michigan State perspective, what you see as the keys to making this, you know, a clean, hopefully, um, but more competitive game than the spread or the stats might suggest. Yeah, I, I do have to start with looking at Michigan because I think, I mean, if, if MSU is going to be competitive or, you know, obviously somehow win this game, Michigan is going to have to play their worst game by several notches, I would say, you know, than what was they've. Because it seems to, I haven't watched every snap of the Wolverines, but quite a bit of them. And you know, they've been very businesslike and put together, and you know haven't been in a lot of stress situations. So, if if they have just this out of body experience with like three turnovers, let's say, you know, it has to be Michigan has to do their part probably for Michigan State to even be competitive in this game. Uh, beyond that, MSU I think has to. It's it's some obvious stuff, but like it's the self inflicted things that we've been talking about, whether that's turnovers or penalties or just catching a punt snap or lining up in punt formation correctly. You know, that everything that preceded the Rutgers meltdown started with a illegal formation flag on the punt team. So if they just come out of a dead ball and line up right, they probably win that game because then you don't get the drop punt in the end zone for the touchdown. And then your head's not hung from that. And then Rutgers doesn't have juice and on and on and on and on. So if you just, you know, penalty free, turnover free, mistake free, and I know that's every game, but especially in this one, and then uh, Michigan State's got to break tendencies, I think. You know, and I know, I know that's the old joke, like, oh, they saved their whole playbook for this game. Like, no, but 
since Mel Tucker has been uh, away, um, and obviously since Flyer, they've been way more, I think, experimental uh, scheme-wise on both sides of the ball. I think they've introduced some new things uh, quite a bit in week-to-week. As I mentioned, Malik Carr getting fed at Iowa. We had never seen that before. Um, the way they were getting out wide that game in the run game, uh, QB run and stretch zones and stuff, that was some some new things. So I just think they've got to be tendency breakers and throw looks at Michigan that they are not prepared for because the same old, same old just ain't going to cut it. You know, and Michigan's way too good of a defense to just throw them a bunch of looks that they've already seen coming. Um, so those would be the two biggest things, I think, and, and just, you know, throw something at them that they haven't seen, you know, and, and get a couple of chunk gains here or there, force a turnover, of course, and, and all that. But uh, I, I put more on the secondary play. You know, don't give up the huge plays in the passing game to Michigan. I, I love – I still I still like the young talent in their secondary. I think if, if J.J. McCarthy is a little loose with the ball or anything or just, you know – forces anything. I think those guys could maybe come up with a big play back there. I have more confidence in them doing something to change the game than I do that front seven that we just talked about. Um, and otherwise, yeah, I just go back to what I said, play clean and, and break tendencies probably uh, on both sides of the ball. Well, the season gets very real for Michigan. Finally, this weekend, uh, a game that that matters a lot in this state and matters a lot to both programs Steven, you've done an excellent job all season uh, keeping us up to date on what's been a very uh, tumultuous, uh, very wild year uh, up in East Lansing. So so thank you so much. Listeners, if you want to follow everything that has happened in East Lansing, uh, you can listen to all the previous episodes of this podcast, which uh, features Stephen Brooks taking us through it week by week as it's happened. Of course, you can follow him over at Spartan Tailgate, which is our part of our 24-7 sports network uh, for tons of intel on a day-by-day basis there. Steven, thank you so much for taking us behind enemy lines this week and also uh, throughout this fall. Absolutely, man. I appreciate the opportunity to to come on here and talk about it a little bit. So hopefully next year we can talk more uh, strictly football and less um, everything else. I guess we'll just put it like that. I fully endorse that, and I think most people would concur. Stephen, appreciate it once again. Stick around after the break, and we will be talking to Patrick Murphy from Bucknuts to recap what was a dominant victory over Purdue and to look ahead to one of the games of the season in the Big Ten and potentially in the race for the college football playoff in the national championship. It's Ohio State-Penn State. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
And we're back, folks, on the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com. Alejandro Suniga taking you behind enemy lines and turning our attention to close the show as the Michigan football team closes its regular season with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Have our recurring guest, Patrick Murphy, on the show. Patrick, let's dive right into it. Uh, Many of us, uh, myself included, did not watch Ohio State Purdue. Uh, That was a Peacock game, uh, and I heard there were some frustrations with that as as there were when Michigan played on Peacock. Uh, but Ohio State made easy work of the Boilermakers, it seemed. So it's not like there was a whole lot to watch from a new, neutral observer. Uh, Patrick, what were your takeaways from that Purdue game uh, that Ohio State won comfortably 41 to 7? It was the game that I think the Buckeyes needed to have, especially going into to this upcoming game this week against Penn State at Ohio Stadium. Uh, you know, if, if there had been struggles for the Buckeyes, I think alarm bells might have started to go off a little bit. Um, you know, we talked last week about the issues running the ball against Maryland. Well, Ohio State went out and despite getting down to their fourth string running back due to injuries, uh, you know, run the ball, rushed the ball for 163 yards, scored two touchdowns on the ground. Um, they even incorporated a new red zone package with backup quarterback Devin Brown, which I have mixed feelings about, but it was decently effective. Um, defense continued to play well. You know, it was just the things you wanted to see against a Purdue team that was overmatched by talent anyway, and then was banged up and then got even more banged up, losing a couple guys during the game. Um, you know, like I said, I think if Ohio State had had any noticeable struggles, that would have been a concern, but they went out and handled the biz- their business. Um, nothing, you know, it wasn't a game where anything really stood out in terms of what they did great, you know, 497 yards of total offense, Kyle McCord throws for three touchdowns. Um, Devin Brown came in late aside from his red zone package and threw another touchdown. So, um, you know, all around they played as expected to against a team like Purdue. There were no issues, uh, ghosts of Ross aid stadium pass that emerged, uh, against the Buckeyes. Even during a solar eclipse, that's, that's <laughs> maybe more impressive than anything Ohio State's done all season. Yeah. Uh, but all seriousness, though, and we talked about this, as you mentioned last week, uh, it feels like injuries are starting to mount up for the Buckeyes. Uh, you mentioned the running back situation. You know, Travion Henderson, uh, Chip Trainum, Mine Williams all have injuries of varying degrees. Uh, Denzel Burke. Uh, suffered an injury, the cornerback for Ohio State during the game. Receiver Emeka Ibuka ha- has been banged up. Is this uh, Michigan's gone through some of the similar sort of things earlier in the season, where it felt like they were taking it, you know, taking it extra cautious uh, because they had the ability, the leeway to do so. Is it the same sort of situation at Ohio State? Do you feel like the concern level should be rising given the number of big names that have been out these last couple weeks? I think it's good you say that if Buckeye fans are are listening because there's a thread in our message board about all the injuries and somebody said in there why is why is Ohio State the only top team that has all these injuries and I was like I think that's more just because you pay more attention to Ohio State uh, but it is I mean you mentioned some pretty important names there and I think you have mostly hit the nail on the head I think there has been the last two weeks especially an eye on we need to be as healthy as possible heading into that game against Penn State coming up. Um, Look, as we talked about last week, Travion Henderson went and warmed up. He did the same this week. He was questionable coming into this game. I thought for sure, based on watching warmups, he was going to play. I think, again, they were just 
aware that they need his big playability likely against Penn State. Um, Emeka Buka didn't make the trip. I think you could read into that a little bit, but I think that's more just you needed guys on the travel roster. Um, I still don't have a great sense of whether or not he's going to play this coming weekend. I certainly know he will want to because I didn't know what a competitor he is and he's fought through plenty of injuries already. Um, but we don't, we just don't have a great feel of, of what the injury is. As we've talked about, Ohio State's kind of tight-lipped on that. The interesting ones that happened, Mayan Williams was a bit of a surprise, though he hasn't played a ton for Ohio State. But the interesting ones were the ones that happened in the game. Chip Tranum uh, took a really big hit and kind of got up a little wobbly and tried to walk off and then had to like just drop down to the turf. So probably concussion related there. Um, he did not come back. I imagine they're just going to have to monitor that uh, as, as anyone who's dealt with concussions know they can be a little weird and they're just going to have to see how he's dealing with it throughout the week. Um, Denzel Burke left in the second half. He's kind of chasing a guy down on a bit of a big play, made a tackle. It was tough to see whether it was like an ankle, whether he got kind of rolled up on, or when he stood up, he sort of grabbed at his leg. And I don't know if that was just reactionary or maybe it was a hamstring. Uh, He went to the sideline. They started looking at him. It looked like they were about to start taping, taping his ankle. And then they put the medical tent up and we couldn't see anything. And then he walks to the locker room, uh, didn't have... Uh, I did not see him after the game, but I didn't see any other reports of a walking boot or anything. Usually somebody at least notices that. So he will certainly be a guy to to keep an eye on. Um, He battled injuries last year and it affected the way he played. He's talked about that a lot and he's put together a really good season so far. So I know he'll want to a not only be back out there because it's a big game on Saturday, but kind of show, I think that he can play through some injuries. Now, obviously if it's something that bad, you know, they'll keep him out. But I do think that will uh, be something he probably wants to prove with an eye on the NFL next year. And, you know, he doesn't want to be labeled a guy who only plays well when he's healthy. Again, it'll it'll just depend on what it is and, and how serious it is. As, as Jim Harbaugh said this week during his uh, pre-Michigan State press conference, when the leaves are, tar- are turning brown, when the skies are gray, uh, that's when championships are determined. And that will be the case the first of the games that's going to decide uh, the Big Ten East and potentially the Big Ten as a whole this season. It's Ohio State hosting Penn State at noon at the Horseshoe this weekend. Uh, It's a game that the whole country is going to have its eyes on. Uh, Penn State has played maybe better than people expect this this season, especially defensively. Uh, Drew Aller has done a commendable job at quarterback. Uh, but this is a matchup that, you know, James Franklin, Penn State haven't won very frequently, right? James Franklin is one in eight against the Buckeyes. That one victory, of course, very memorable for the Nittany Lions, but it's going to be, it's going to be a massive test for both teams uh, and, and befitting of a top 10 matchup. Patrick, as we're early in this week, but as you are turning your attention toward this top 10 matchup, it's prime time, you know, big top billing game. Uh, what are your early keys? What what do you think Ohio State needs to do? What are some of the areas you think Penn State does well enough to potentially come in and pull off an upset? Yeah, I, it's interesting going into this game because I think this is like James Franklin needs this one because he's and I think they've kind of put, you know, if you've listened to some of the Penn State press conferences recently when they were asked about um, you know, Ohio State 
um, offensive coordinator. I think it was offensive coordinator, Mike Yersich. One of the, one of their coordinators was like, I have thoughts on the Buckeyes, but we're going to, you know, I'm going to keep that to myself. Like this seems to be a game that Penn state is like really circled. Right. Um, and I, not to say that Ohio state hasn't, obviously it's of the games left on the schedule. It's this one. And it's the Michigan game that are the two biggest. So in terms of keys, I think Ohio state has been able to get big plays this year. And the defense has been able to limit them. The longest play they've given up is 38 yards. Penn State has not been able to strike quickly. It's been you know longer drives. Um, the numbers are all good. And obviously, they've won most of their games convincingly. So it's worked. I think if Ohio State can get some of that quick strike offense, especially early, and get a lead, that's advantage Buckeyes. Because the defense has, has been able to kind of keep a lid on things. And Penn, that kind of plays into to, – their hands because Penn state hasn't done that. Now maybe Penn state has saved some things that they've been working on and, and they'll be able to do more of that. But to me, it's, you know, can Ohio state get, you know, a 70 yard Marvin Harrison touchdown or a big uh, Travion Henderson run to, to kind of spark things early and then let your defense play with a lead and kind of keep that. Like I said, that, that lid on the defense, not let Penn state get out. I think that could be um, important because I do think if Penn state can come out, first drive of the game, drive down the field, take time off the clock, get in the end zone, uh, you know, and, and then if they're able to get a stop on the Buckeyes, now things get a little complicated. To me, this feels like a game similar to when Ohio State played Notre Dame. I think it's going to be low scoring. I think both coaches are going to, uh, you know, not want to put their team in a bad position by making a mistake, those type of things. I do think, and I was on with our Lions 247s guys earlier this morning, and they were talking right before I came on about the fact that Penn state hasn't been in a big game, hasn't really played four quarters yet this season because they haven't had to. Whereas the Buckeyes have played a few closer games, um, which you can read into one way or the other, but they did have that Notre Dame game too. Right. So there is kind of some of that experience. I think it'll be interesting to see how that experience plays out in this one as well. Um, you know, it's fun. We're getting into kind of the meat of the season now. Right. And we're going to have some more of these games and, and this is why we do this right to, to enjoy these games, these big ones that are coming up. Do football games go four quarters? Uh, for, <laughs> from watching Michigan this year, I thought they'd switch to to periods, kind of like in hockey, you know? Yeah, like three and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Pat, Patrick, I I and most of the country and, and certainly Michigan fans will be keeping their eye uh, on that football game in Columbus. Uh, that's a Saturday. It's a noon kickoff. Uh, great timing with the Michigan game being a night game to, to catch both games in full because – no, Michigan has has both the Nittany Lions and the Buckeyes coming down the pipeline, and this is when the season gets real. Uh, so, Patrick, I know you have a busy week. Thank you so much for taking some time out of it uh, to take us behind enemy lines, give us a, a taste of what's to come uh, from Ohio State this week and down the road. Uh, Patrick Murphy, he covers the Buckeyes over at Bucknuts, part of our 24-7 sports network. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter or X at underscore Pat underscore Murphy. Patrick, appreciate it. Yep, thanks for having me on. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Behind Enemy Lines. For myself, Alejandro Suniga, and everyone over at the Michigan Insider, thank you so much for listening. It's a busy week over on our site, over at themichiganinsider.com. Not only is it Michigan, Michigan State, which of course is one of the bigger games of the year, no matter the records, but the hockey season is underway. Football recruiting, of course, that never stops. And basketball is right around the corner. We have coverage from men's and women's basketball media days over at michigan.247sports.com. And 
of course, the focus on the Spartans. So if you want deep dives, statistical breakdowns, press conference updates, injury updates, basically anything you could possibly want, looking back, looking at what Michigan has done over these last few weeks to get to this point, uh, with some expert analysis from Al Borges, Vance Bedford, and others, uh, with Sam Webb, looking ahead at Michigan State, and looking to what comes for the rest of the Michigan football season. You can find that and much more over at themichiganinsider.com. Until next week, I'll see you in East Lansing.